pitching, pitching, pitching. That is what has been moving the market. We're going to talk a little about pitching, get into the news and rumors of the day, and also discuss you know, who are some players who are making a little more cash today than they were when the week began, all on today's episode of Locked On Guardians. You are Locked On Guardians, your daily podcast on the Cleveland Guardians, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Locked On Guardians. I want to thank you for making Locked On Guardians your first listen today and every day wherever you get podcasts. I want to take a quick moment here at the start and say we didn't know how monetization worked. Uh, we got an email about halfway through Friday. So if you're going to if you're like, oh, I'm not watching again or I'm just going to see if they. Yes, there were too many ads from now on. There's like three ad breaks in the middle of a show, like where the typical ad breaks occur. That's where they are. We are pre-programming, pre-programming them in. I went through and did the last five episodes. I want to address this before we do anything else because it was excessive. I agree. If you thought that way or felt that way, we didn't know. We had no idea what was going to happen. Um, not to to like put the blame on anyone else. I just they should have told us before we. I think they didn't realize that we were actually monetized until we were monetized. So I take a moment and apologize. I also posted here on the YouTube. So if you're following, I put a post up on Saturday about it. Uh, I just wanted to put that on Front Street. Uh, yes, there are ads. It's helpful for us. Uh, we are not a big show, but we want to apologize for that. Uh, I want to take the moment and introduce myself to things that people hate, but we're supposed to do. I'm Jeff Ellis. Uh, I am a Christmas uh, holic. I am wearing a Bumble shirt, as my daughter and I refer to him as. And uh, we are. Uh, I have the house fully decorated outside in all of its splendor. Maybe I'll like do a video, uh, a short from out there at some point. If you want to see a baseball short outside of... Uh, a very gaudy Christmas display. Comment below. I'm Justin Latta. I uh, I don't have a lot of Christmas stuff in my basement. This is mostly just a, a sports cave. Maybe one of these days I'll take my camera and I'll I'll maybe I'll rearrange and show all my uh, baseball slash sports stuff once I get it all in order I like. But there's stuff back there. You can see the banners and there's other stuff I can show eventually. But uh, yeah, I'm not famous, but uh, I tweet a lot. Maybe that's where people know me from. And that's why I, I write places because I tweeted a lot and I convinced a lot of people that I knew a lot about baseball. So that's now, who I am. I was, you know, this is not what we plan to talk about, but it was kind of interesting. Of I don't know. I, I was once, it always is, <laughs> uh, because I am obsessed with Christmas and it's this time of year and I'm that annoying person who likes to watch Christmas things. I come by it honestly. My dad is, you know, 70 and lives on the Hallmark Channel. I know that's not, you know, traditionally where a lot of, People go for that. And it's not where I go, but my dad loves it. So it's just in the blood. And uh, I was watching Christmas Story because, of course, you know, my grandma introduced it to me. It's got all the things in Cleveland she liked. It's, you know, near and dear. But it made me think about, like, media back then and, like, what it must be like to, you know, wake. You know, I was reading some article that was talking about. I can't remember what it was. It was one of those things where I was like, oh, Cleveland should get mentioned in this. And then they got no mention. I was like, oh, yeah. Like back when you had TV and radio, you really had to lean on that local person to give you perspective beyond anything. Because, you, I mean, especially if you were a Cleveland fan, I imagine it had to be terrible. Like if you wanted to listen to even when I was a kid in the 80s, it's like unless you're listening to local sports talk, you probably never heard Cleveland get talked about for large chunks. Um, so I don't know. I just want to take a moment and appreciate the world we live in where you can get a daily Cleveland Guardians podcast. 
Um, that being said, uh, also comment below uh, favorite Christmas movies. Let me see if there's ones I have not seen. I will I will let you know if you found one that I have not watched. Uh, we're gonna get those comments rolling. I want to talk about money. Uh, we all like money to some degree or another. And even if you're like, that's a very, uh, you know, gaudy thing to say, let's be honest. None of us wants to be poor, but Emmanuel Classe, Andres Jimenez, uh, not poor, <laughs> not poor. Tristan McKenzie and Stephen Kwan all got bonuses. Classe got uh, $1,354,962. I love how specific it is. And Andres Jimenez, got $1,308,805. Uh, number one bonus went to Dylan Cease, Jordan Alvarez, Alec Manea, Zach Allen, Julio Rodriguez, Michael Harris, and the two Guardians guys. Mackenzie and Quan each get 500K. This comes from that general fund, the pre-arbitration, where it's $50 million set in a pool. So then that gets split up by percentages. I don't know the specifics, but clearly by percentages with how very specific that money went to the top 10 guys. And so it's about 3.6 million. So technically the guardians payroll is going to be 3.6 million higher without anything coming out of their front offices, uh, out of the ownership's pocket. So that is paid from, from that pool. So that's like a, a free bonus to those guys. And you might be like, Hey, class, they signed a contract. So did Harris. And so did Julio. This money is on top of any contract that has been signed. They get this no matter what. So that is just additional money for all of them. It's a, I imagine a nice holiday bonus for those players. 500,000 as a, as uh, maybe I shouldn't say it. It gets people triggered when you say this, but I'm like, as a teacher, I could get there in eight to nine years with my master's degree. So, you know, I, obviously I can't do what any of these guys can do. And I'm not saying this to belittle or shame anyone, but uh, you know, it, it stands out. It's interesting. Honestly, it's the only real news that included the Guardians yeah. over the past weekend was these bonuses. So we should point it out. Uh, it does, in a way, allow them to inflate their salary a little in terms of books because, again, it comes from a general pool. They're not paying for it. So it's $3.6 million that uh, doesn't come out of anyone's pocket. Uh, I think they had to pay into the general fund at the start of the year. I'm not sure exactly how that goes with the new thing. But I thought that was interesting. Something of note. Um is Justin, that who yeah, pays into the fund? Is it each team? Uh, let's see. Or each team is responsible. I know. I feel like all last offseason when the lockout was going on, we were all trying to follow every story and how things were going to work. And then now the year later when we're not worried about that and the money's flowing from other teams, uh, we've kind of forgotten how things in the CBA have each, decided to work. Okay. I found it. Each team will be paid out the bonuses by December 23rd. So it really is like getting them their money by Christmas. Uh, that's going to be the theme, I guess, of today's show, but they will be reimbursed by the commissioner's office. So teams have to pay it. And then it's like, uh, you know, why am I blanking on? Um... Well, ultimately, how does the fund yeah. get fed? That's my question. Is So it's from you're... Major League Baseball itself. It's like the money that like the Major okay. League, you know, the eight billion in profits they made a few years ago. They're giving 50 million of that. I thought uh, baseball was dying, Jeff. What the heck? It's di it's it's it's, it's dying. dying. Sport. Owners um, are broke. That it makes billions of dollars every year. But the owners are uh, broke. But the owners are broke. It's not profitable to run a baseball franchise. No. That's the Reds. Not, that's... that's the Pirates. <laughs> you know, it, it's a thing, too. Like, uh, I saw a lot of Reds fans that got mad about, like, telling their owner to sell the team when they lost the draft lottery. I'm like, there's a lot of reasons, starting with uh, their owner's son's statements before last season to be angry and want to get rid of the Reds' ownership. Uh, losing the draft lottery—that's you can't put that on uh, on them. Though it's 
that, it's that just was another, another kick amusing. in another region. Yeah, it is. it is. But yeah, no, it's it is always funny to me. And it's like even if you lose money owning a team, you can always be like the Dolans who you know bought this team for what 250 million and are probably gonna end up selling it for 1.25 billion. So if nothing else, it's like putting your money in a bank and getting a return on investment in under 20 years of a billion dollars. So I think the owners are doing okay. Maybe, just maybe a little bit. I, you know, I, I have yet the, to see a team sold for a loss. That's all I'm saying. Yeah, no, no team has been sold for a loss. And the only owner in my lifetime who could somehow not make money off their sport was Art Modell. But that's another story for another time. Oh, and, boy. Uh, you know, uh, he will always be a villain in my tales. Don't don't comment below if you're going to try to push anything else. I was in eighth, I was <laughs> in eighth grade watching the Iron Man cartoon in the mid '90s when it got interrupted to tell me my football team was leaving. That is going to always be a memory I remember from now I, until uh, the end of time. My small appreciation. This is Brown specific and not yeah. Guardian specific, so we should move on quickly. But. Uh, I, I appreciate uh, Art Modell for moving the team because now I don't waste my time every Sunday getting mad at the Browns. Like that, that's I'm totally lost. I don't care. I can care about baseball all day, but uh, I have the fact that the Browns never existed. Now they stink. Uh, you know, I don't waste my time with football, which is I don't waste my time getting mad about football, which is good. But I did want to ask you too, real quick: this bonus pool does this help or hurt the Guardians' chances of? extending any of these guys so they already have class a extended but i guess jimenez and Quan and mckenzie i would say it hurts because anytime that that and then the money is good for these guys obviously yeah. good because they've earned they've earned it no doubt and the, and the money is there to pay them but um this gives them more of a chance to bet on themselves and not take extensions so i think in a weird way yes. it's, it's it's even better for the players uh bad for the guardians extending them I mean, you look at class a, i don't know what his signing bonus was but one of the reasons they probably were able to sign him to that extension uh, was that he didn't have a big bonus, and these guys can make nothing in the minors, make less than a living wage down there. So, you know, for them to, they don't have them over a barrel anymore. So, yeah, it mm-hmm. might be easier to be like, hey, I'm just going to pace myself to free agency. I think it it does kind of hurt them a little bit in the long run. Maybe it gets them to ton, arb. But yeah, it, it gets them to, and it gets them to kind of being arbitration before they're at arbitration, and they're no longer. And again, you know, I hazard, hazard, Nope, that's not the word I want. I hesitate to say like league minimum. Once they get to the big leagues, they're fine. In the minors, it's nothing. But once you're in the big leagues, it's an entirely different story. So it's like, is 500,000, I don't know if that's a huge boat, like if that's going to push Stephen Kwan for signing extension or not, because his salary last year was more than 500,000. But when it's someone like Classe or Jimenez, where they're getting like 1.3, I think that could separate. Um, speaking of money. Yeah, I, I hate to cut you off here. I know people hate when that happens. Uh, I am going to say that uh, it's time for one of the fantastic commercial breaks that keep this show going. And our first sponsor of the day is one of our longtime sponsors, and those are the good people over at Bet Online. And you know the story of Bet Online, but I want to go and pull up the specific odds that I got uh, recently in the mail from our friends over at Bet Online talking about some of the odds on stats for next year jacob de gram and i want i want you to tell me if you want to go over under on these okay so it's going to be a, a work together one jacob de gram 275 era for the regular season over or under under i would agree with you on that one uh starts 26 and a half under yeah i'm jumping on that one that's the best one to me i would definitely strikeouts 225 and a half oh under 
Yeah. I see. I feel like these are almost being too generous. So if you're a fan, you might want to go. Uh, wins 11. Under. Yeah. He's with the Rangers. <laughs> Verlander, <laughs> ERA, 295. Under. It was under yeah. two. It was under two last year. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, strikeouts, 200 and a half. I'll go over for Verlander. He was healthy last year. Yeah. I don't know. I'm, I'm tempted to go under just due to age. And then wins 13. Uh, the Mets off. Uh, the Mets, I don't know. I, I'm going to say over. Slight. I, mean, I, I could see 14 for him. Yeah, just I think barely. I'm going- that's the one I feel better about saying over. But if any of those stood out to you, go check out our friends at Bet Online today. So we are back. And one of the big stories, I think, I mean, was, I, I would butcher his name. Uh, Cody Sengay, Senga was, I think, the only free agent of note that I can think of that signed. Another starting pitcher. Uh, to some people, a surprising amount of money. I saw, it's interesting how many people I saw say it surprised them with how high and others with how low. I don't think he's necessarily an ace type, if I'm being honest. I think there is some reliever risk, um, but I think there's a chance for a solid mid-rotation starter. But at the same time, I thought Otani was going to be a DH in, uh, closer. So I, what do I know? But I think what is interesting with these two recent contracts for these Japanese players is how much they are paying for risk. Like, say a Suzuki, to me, was a much better prospect than... Um, the gentleman who signed with Boston and he got less money. And these have been kind of big contracts for the risk. Uh, five years, 75 million. And you're like, Oh, well, 15 million is about going right for mid rotation. But he also got an opt out after 2025. So you can go out there and get more money. Like those opt outs in some ways are, um, mm-hmm. you know, are, are bad for a club. If a guy's effective, because I mean, they're, they are just bad for a club because if they're bad, they, they don't take them. And if they're good, they leave you. So this pitching market, what are you thinking? Do you think, you know, there's there's still a lot of names left in it. Are there too many names for Cleveland to maybe take advantage of this market with their starting pitching? Yeah, it's a really good question. I don't know. I mean, obviously, teams are, there's a lot of, there's, I shouldn't say a lot. There's a few teams out there that have forked over a lot of money. The Mets obviously have paid a lot of money for Verlander and now uh, and Jose Quintana and Kodai Gay. So that's a lot of money from them. The Rangers paid big money for DeGrom. I mean, the Orioles paid Kyle Gibson a lot of money. The Phillies are paying Taiwan Walker a lot of money. The Cubs are paying Jamison Tyone a lot of money. Um, I guess the question is, how many teams out there still need pitching and how many are going to miss out? Like, you know, the Twins are in on Carlos Rodon, supposedly, but um, if they miss out, obviously Cleveland's not going to make a trade with them. So that's that's kind of a one-off right there. I guess it really depends on who misses out. I mean, where because what? Who are the big name? The dominoes that still have to fall. You've got Rodon. You've got um, Chris Bassett are probably one and two for sure. After that, Evaldi uh, number three, and then you've got uh, Sean Manaya is probably number four. Or Ross Stripling, or Johnny Cueto, uh, Noah Syndergaard, Michael Waka, Corey Kluber, Zach Greinke, uh, yeah. Michael Lorenzen is kind of an interesting buy low guy. Uh, it's it's still a good 10 deep um you know it at the it's to put it this way listen uh spot rack is not perfect but they've still got like i'd have to do counting which everyone loves that but i would looking at this list like 12 players that they view is like an upwards of 15 that would still get 9 million or more in free agency 
it's it's expensive. The prices for pitching has been very expensive, and that makes you think that okay, Plesac and Savali and, and maybe Quantrill. Although I don't see Cleveland trading Quantrill, I guess it depends on the offer. But that would automatically make you assume that okay, the prices on a pitcher that is much cheaper and has club control coming with them, you know, two to three years is going to be a valuable commodity in terms of trades. And it's going to, you know, cost a significant prospect return. Even, even if guys like Plesak and Savali have had issues in their career and they are, you know, maybe from number five starters, like, yeah, the upside isn't there. I mean, even I'll even say Mike Clevenger, if that the White Sox can somehow fix him or get him back to what he was, he has more upside than Plesak and Savali. They just have, more cost control and club control. So there's, it's different value points, but I guess you got to ask yourself like, okay, no, you're not taking Carlos Rodon. You're not taking police actors to value for Rodon. Like who, who are you, who would you be more interested in pitching for you every fifth day and paying for at the current price between police actors to value in the free agent market? Cause obviously Rodon's not one of them. Um, I assume most teams would rather have Evaldi than the police actors following him out of the price because of his his uh, track record, even though he's 33. Uh, who do we say was, was Bassett? Probably number three. Chris Bassett, Chris Bassett number two. Bassett is 34, but a uh, very quality pitcher. And I said number four is probably... I mean, is it Stripling? Um, is it Syndergaard? Sean Mania? Oh, Mania is like the make-good contract because it was not good last year. Yeah. So, so I feel like... Who, which of I these mean, pictures we've talked about would you rather have police actor Savali over? Would you rather have police actor Savali over Stripling? Would you rather have them over Syndergaard? Would you rather have them over Manaya? Um, after that, the market's like so empty. So, I, I, I mean, after that, you have Rich Hill and you have Walker had a decent year. Um, Kluber and Kluber, I, I guess, is, is a big question mark. Would you rather have Kluber at the stage of his career? Would you rather have the cost certainty of Savali and police act plus to control? Like who who are you taking police second Savali over out of the free agent pitchers left and who who is gonna be left standing wanting a pitcher? Because like I would say I would take police second Savali over Grinky, I would take him over Lyles, I would take him over Waka, I would take him over Dylan Bundy, Wade Miley, Zach Davies, Chad Cool, Chris Archer, Luke Weaver, all those guys I would take police second Savali over. Um, I guess the question is would you rather sign those guys to what they're going to get, or would you rather fork over any sort of prospect cost to get those pitchers? And I'm just so, I'm so one, I'm so curious if, if there's really going to be a market for them because it's going to be a high market and there may not be enough teams out there willing to, to pay in terms of prospect costs. That's my concern. No, and personally, I would be in that camp. Like, I'd rather go give Michael Lorenzen like nine million dollars on a make good than pay a prospect cost for Savale or Plesac. I think Plesac could be an interesting case for a mid-season trade because you know a lot of like his pickoff move and things he does well might actually bring more value to him. And if he can come out and pitch like half of a decent year, um, and those young pitchers are ready to go, maybe he's more tradable. Savale, Savale, you know, I had someone say I was too focused on the postseason. Listen, Savale was a it was a bad year. Like he had good points, but the first half was a disaster. And then there were two to three injuries, and he's had injuries every year. I don't even care about the postseason. That doesn't even put come at all into he's been unable to stay healthy and it was not a good year. I they're not consistent. 
neither of them are consistent pitchers. I mean, if I'm running a team, I'm like, thanks, but no thanks. I think you sit there and you wait and you see as this market cools down that you can probably get someone like Kluber for under 10 million. You can get Lorenzen, I bet, for under 10 million. Yeah, if you want to. And the problem is, like, you can't definitively tell me that Savale is going to be better than Kluber next year. We can't state that. We can't state he's going to be better than Lorenzen. These guys have not shown enough in terms of, and even though Plesak's been a little bit more, a little bit better in terms of health, he's also had at least one to two issues a year health-wise. So I don't think the market's going to develop because I don't think they're good enough to really get the price going. I think your best hope is that, you know, that they pitch well and that maybe you can look for something mid season with them. But I don't think either of them have a ton of trade value. I just, I don't like, you know, when I was talking about like maybe Texas, if they really want to bring in James McCann and that kind of fell apart, like, you know, Jonah Heim for Savale would be the the going rate on, on a deal like that. And instead they went out and signed Andrew Haney. Like they, they have their pieces in place. I think they're, are so many pitchers out there that you can wait this market out. I think you can a hundred percent wait this market out and then go get someone that you think has some upside or, or potential. Cause I don't think anyone, I don't think they're clearly better than any of the names we talked about. That's just the problem. They're not, they've neither of them have proven they can be consistent. Yeah, that's definitely a problem. I, I guess I came, I came into this thinking that they could set a nice value in trades for those guys because teams are going out and paying tons of money for pitching right now. And there's a lot of pitchers out there and the price, even, even the price for a Kluber or a Syndergaard is going to come high. Um, and they, they have their own warts with them at this point in their careers too. So in theory, you think you could set a decent price on please seconds of Valley and say, and offer up, Hey, this is a, a cheaper controllable option that you can't get on the trade on the free agent market. But I think you're I think you're 100 right. After listening to you, is you're you can't they're not going to pay. I think teams are proving that they would rather pay for the free agent pitching that's out there rather than trade the prospect cost. I don't think that market is going to be there. Like I I definitely agree that Cleveland could set a high price on that based on those factors and say, okay, well if you're willing to pay this much money for these kind of pitchers, here's how much you should be willing to pay to get a one that. You don't have to pay $10 million a year for, um, and you also get, you know, two or three years of club control with them. I guess it just doesn't quite translate. Like, because they're not Brandon Woodruff's, they're not um, uh, Corbin Burns, they're not even Pablo Lopez. Like, even Pablo Lopez probably is going to have more value than those guys. Um, I guess that's what it is. I, th- I think you're right. I think it's more, maybe, maybe it's more, maybe it's not teams are willing to pay the money for free agent pitching. Maybe it's, these two guys don't have the performance to, to command a trade value that might be worth make, making a trade with because um, you can't just lean on club control and cost certainty with them, I suppose. So, yeah, I, I now, I'm, now I'm a little bit concerned that trade market may never develop. But maybe Cleveland has shown they'll trade starters in season before, even if they're winning, um, if they have an internal upgrade, which we think they should. So... I don't know. It'll be interesting to see, but yeah, now I have some serious doubts that a trade market for police sectors folly is ever going to develop unless they settle on a return, which they almost never do. So there's that. <laughs> yeah. And I said, it's the market has been fast and furious, um, but not too fast and too furious. Uh, it's just been fast and furious. And, but it, there's still so many guys left. 
And that's what it comes down to me. There's so much depth on this market. And I think now is a perfect time, speaking of depth on the market, to uh, talk about keeping you and your family and all those in your atmosphere safe with our good friends over at Simply Safe. That is S I M P L I S A F E, Simply Safe at Lockdown Guardians. We live. Home should be where you and your family feel safest, especially over the holidays. This season, give yourself and your family the gift of peace and protection with the number one rated home security system, Simply Safe. As of right now, Simply Safe is offering Lockdown Guardians listeners 40% off a new security system. Don't put it off. Here's why I love it. Yes, I do love the fact that U.S. News and World Report has named it the top home security system of 2022, 21, and 2020. Again, I go to that. I go to U.S. News whenever I make any big purchase. They're telling you they're the best. They're always improving and advancing technology. You can now control the whole system from your app with the new Simply Safe version 2. If you don't believe it, go check it out for yourself. Don't miss a chance to save big on my favorite security system. Get 40% off the new system at simplysafe.com backslash locked on MLB today. That's simplysafe.com backslash locked on MLB. There's no safe like Simply Safe. Okay, we have discussed pitching. We have discussed. Um, what's going on around the league? Bef- oh, I want, do want to give a quick, kind of forgot to mention this at the top of the show. Um, we're going to have a uh, one, potentially two guests this week on the show, both pitchers in Cleveland's organization. Can I say that? Maybe I shouldn't state that. Uh, but uh, one uh, we already know for is listen to Thursday show. If you want to get to know Tim Heron, uh, one of the big developmental success stories, a chance to be the greatest I believe 29th round pick ever in franchise history. The big lefty who most people weren't looking at when the year began, who went from a starting big lefty starter starting pitching at uh, Indiana to a big velocity lefty with some wipeout pitches. Uh, before we talk about a few other things, do you want to give your quick report on Tim Heron? You've probably seen him as much as anyone. Yeah. Heron is a, is a big dude, a uh, fun left-handed reliever. Uh, I think last, I think in 20, 2021 at, in Lake County, I saw him. He was like, you know, more 92, 95 at best with the fastball slider and cutter. And, uh, man, he just exploded this year. He came back a lot stronger and uh, sustained new velocity, touching 99 at times. The slider got better. The cutter is better. It's a, it's a nice pitch mix. It's a very – should be a very nice uh, – left-hander that's going to go next to Sam Hentges at some point in the bullpen. I don't know if he'll start the year in the pen. They should have an open spot for him to compete for. Um, but yeah, definitely excited for him. He is a, a big kid and uh, has a lot of heat from the left side. So that should be fun to watch for. Yeah. I, I love the idea of what I brought up before of putting him in the Hentges role and allowing you to move Hentges into that back end role. Uh, we're also going to talk about reliever soon. Um, I, I'm going to do a little bit of foreshadowing here in segment three. And then I know Justin has a, a something, he some really interesting information, something that totally ran counter to some of what I thought, but, uh, just, you know, we, of course, with the way both of us are prospects will be coming. We are probably going to draft prospect teams at some point and then let people judge, uh, teams. And we will then sit there and compete and, and talk about that. And, uh, we're also debating uh, in terms of future content, doing like a, you know, a 64 style tournament, all time guardians, maybe guardians the last 20 years. Um, maybe like a really hard one to do, but an interesting one might be like 
hyped prospects. So like, you know, you could talk about the Adam Millers versus, you know, um, some of the other guys, uh, that'd be an interesting, but hard one to pull off. So, um, you know, sometimes our best thoughts come from you, Alton, if you're listening, I mean, last year you helped drive this show, I think for most of December with the why prospects fail, where I literally went through every top 100 list that had a guardians prospect in it and then discussed why they didn't work out. So sometimes we get some great ideas from the fans as well. Uh, but tomorrow's show, depending on news, um, you know, Oh, and then the one big news of the day, the guardians are still interested in Sean Murphy, according to Ken Rosenthal. I know people are tired of Murphy talk. Uh, the guardians were not on his list of Christian Vasquez teams. So it is interesting if Vasquez doesn't work out Vasquez does not appear like he's going to work out. If the Murphy situation doesn't come together, what their rebounds going to be? Because it feels like they are going to get something, um, whether it's Zunino, Hedges, Narvez, we'll we'll see. But uh, not have spoken about all of that jive. Justin, tell them a thing that I was most definitely wrong about heading into this evening. Well, good thing there are people out there that are good at numbers and do the numbers on these things. Certainly wasn't me. Um, I hate to say this. People are all like, oh, I, I like to trust my gut. I like to trust my my eyes. And humans are very flawed creatures. We all are. I am, I'm definitely flawed. We all have flaws. Uh, our eyes deceive us. There are certain things we just can't remember because we have so much information spewing into our heads every, every day. We can only retain so much. Um, I wouldn't have even guessed this either, but Cleveland this year. Um, Jeff, I told you before, this surprised you. Um Third best this past season in challenge success rate, thanks to uh, Josh Hanley, who apparently has done some work in the past for a couple major league teams and is also a DePaul graduate. I like DePaul. My cousin went to DePaul and taught stats there. Um, but the Guardians were third this year in most successful challenges at 61%. The only teams ahead of them were the Cardinals at 62, it looks like, maybe 63 uh, those are the direct numbers on there, but he has a chart. And then uh, the Mets at 79%. So only three teams better than the Guardians this season in successful challenges of play. So, um, yeah. I, I don't know if I really had a strong thought one way or the other on how they did this year. I definitely feel like they always came out in the in the green, the black. I don't know. I guess that, to borrow a uh, marketing term. They always came out ahead. They always always came out ahead. I feel like they were better than 50-50, but the numbers confirm. Yeah. Always I mean, I, I don't know. Ahead. I felt like it didn't always go well, but that's why, I don't know. It, it's the hot take on it. Um, I, I think just it's had, like kickers ahead. and closers. I think it's like kickers and closers. You always remember the misses. You remember the blown saves. Like, look at Brian Shaw for years. People hated Brian Shaw for years and always wanted to bring up the, the failures, but Brian Shaw often had an ERA in the low threes, um, which which says he was better more often than he wasn't good. And there's a reason the Rockies is as bad of a franchise as the Rockies are. They paid him all that money because he had past success because Major League free agency was broken. But, um, yeah, people remember the misses. They remember the blown saves. They don't remember 99% of the good things that happened. That's just uh, it's human bias, unfortunately. We are, we are very biased creatures, and uh, it's one of those unfortunate things. We tend to see the bad more than the good. So I'm going to cut off the audio podcast here just because I don't want us to run over too long. Remember, you can go over to YouTube. I just got a trade question in my DMs that I have to throw Justin's way because uh, he's going to appreciate this. So you can join us oh, on no. YouTube, get the get, get a bonus segment here. 
Um, and you know, make sure to check that out. So I'm going to end, do the ending as I do for the audio, which is thank you for tuning in. Remember to rate, uh, subscribe, rate and review. Our YouTube total is up to 1070. Thank you all for joining and we'll end it the way we always do. Go, go guardians, go.